Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Arilicum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, ignite within us, we pray, by your spirit and for the glory of your name and for the exaltation of your son, a passion within us today to be involved in the gospel work wherever you have placed us and planted us. Help us to see our careers, help us to see our state in life, whether married or single, whether a teenager or a senior citizen, someone who's in the middle of their almost like a midlife crisis, no matter what state of life we're in, that we have a role and you're doing a work and help us to see the beauty of what it could mean for us to be engaged in that. And I pray as a product of today, there would be many people who would find themselves strangely drawn to being engaged in other people's lives, to become small group leaders, to begin process of doing what it means to counsel effectively or just to be a better dad, mom, a friend. So help us today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might think me a bit odd, but I love cemeteries. (laughs) Some of you were like, we knew you were odd before. (laughs) I like them. I I like to walk around cemeteries. In fact, cemeteries are my favorite place to think, my favorite place to pray, my favorite place to ask myself some big picture questions. In our last church, about 300 yards from the facility, there was a cemetery, it's called Grasscup Cemetery, and as as a young pastor, I I worked out so many issues with the Lord there. I'd walk and talk with him, just pour out my heart, and it's that same grave that our daughter was buried, and. It was just a special place. Maybe you have a place like that where you just feel like God just meets you in this location. I love a cemetery because it's in that location that I find myself asking some pretty big picture questions that I'm not inclined to ask in other situations or other locations. I ask questions like, what's my purpose in life? Walking around, seeing a gravestone, I'm thinking, what's my life gonna count for? See these grave markers, and I begin to ask myself, what's worth really living for? What are my children gonna say at my funeral? 
I realize that there's someday gonna be a plot of land, unless the Lord returns before I die, but there's gonna be a plot of land with a little headstone. It's gonna say, Mark Vogue up 1971, dash, and then whatever year the Lord takes me. And to realize that my life in total is a dash. <laughs> it's a dash. It's a little blip in time. I love cemeteries because I think those questions are really important. Maybe you have a location where you're inclined to ask those kind of questions about the purpose of life. Maybe it's been a long time since you even thought about that question, about what your legacy is or what you're really living for. In Romans 15, verses 14 to 21, we get a sense as to what Paul is living for. We get a, a great image of his drive and his passion in life. And after dealing with issues related to church life, Paul is now transitioning to the end of the book, and he's thinking about what he really wants for this church and what he really wants for his own life. And what we're going to see is that these verses help us to see Paul's joy, his happiness, his satisfaction in the work of the gospel. And these verses also challenge us and invite us individually and as a collective church to do some soul searching about why are you here? I mean, why are you on earth? Why are you in this church? Why are you in this city? Why are you in the job that you're in? And how does all of that relate to the work of the gospel? So what we see first is Paul has this boast in Christ. Normally we'd walk through a passage moving from 14 to 15 to 16, but there's one verse in the middle of this text that really is the summary of the entire passage. And I asked this question on Twitter last night and one person responded and got it right. And so we were one for one last night and it is in fact verse 17. Look at it. It says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So that's the main thought of this text. And then everything else are like ripples coming out of that one singular point. Now, you might wonder, well, how do you get that? Well, because of two words in verse 17. The word then, and then another word in verse 18, the word for. The word then means that what he's just said previously in verses 14 to 16 He's now concluding with this singular thought. So he says, in Christ Jesus, then. Why does he say then? He says then because of what he says previously. And then in verse 18, he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Why does he say that? He says that because of what he says in verse 17, that I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So I think as you analyze this passage, verse 17 is the center and then everything else moves out from there. So that's what we're gonna look at today. Look at verse 17, and then we're just gonna kind of build outward, going both directions. Now verse 17 should be a bit startling to you. Paul says, I have reason to be proud of my work. It's not normally how the Bible talks about pride. I mean, I don't need to tell you, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, you know pride is bad. The Bible says that pride is sinful. A few examples. In Romans 3, 27, I mean, a lot of the book of Romans is about pride and its problems. Romans 3, 27 says that faith causes boasting to be excluded. This essentially is the gospel. It means that God is the one who saves us. God is the one who justifies us. 
that righteousness comes to people by putting their faith in Christ's work, that he did the work, and so therefore, Romans 3.27 says that boasting is excluded, which means if you understand that you're a sinner and you understand there's nothing you can do to uh, redeem your own sin and you know that you need a savior, then if God's done all that work for you, who are you to say, look what I've done? Because let's be honest, what you've done is a mess. What I've done is a mess. And Jesus cleaned it up. So Romans 3 says it excludes boasting. Romans 4, 2, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, he had nothing to boast about because his righteousness came by faith, not by works. Again, his works didn't work. Romans 2, 17, Romans 2, 23, Paul gets on the Jews because they were using the law, which was supposed to humble them, and instead they inverted the purpose of the law and they used it to prop themselves up to show how righteous they were when the reality was the law was supposed to humble them. So they were using the instrument meant to show them God as a mirror to make themselves feel really good. So Paul gets on them about their pride. So it's pretty clear throughout the Bible And throughout the book of Romans, there is fundamentally an anti-boasting mentality. So when we see the word proud, our natural reaction is negative, and it should be. Verse 17 should be surprising, because the central message of the Bible, the central message of the gospel is that we cannot save ourselves. So if you're here today still trying to figure out the claims of Christianity, or if you're here today and your life has fallen apart and you've come to church today because you're just like, like something's wrong. And the answer in the Bible is this, there is something wrong, it's everything about you. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came to change everything about you. And what the gospel offers you is a complete change from the inside out, meaning there's a part of you that you can't get to, only Jesus can get to. The message of the gospel is that pride is eternally dangerous. There are going to be millions of people who wake up in hell and are utterly shocked that they're there. Because pride convinced them all their life. No, I'm better than most. I didn't, haven't done as bad as others. I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. And they wake up in a Christless eternity and they're gonna be stunned because their pride blinded them. So God saves us through Christ. The gospel saves us. And what does God save us from? He saves us from ourselves. We are prone to self-destruction. And that's humbling. And that's the start of Christianity. Now, all that's true. But you need to know that the gospel doesn't eliminate all boasting. The gospel does not eliminate all boasting. It eliminates the wrong kind of boasting. The Bible commends boasting, in fact, even commands us to boast as long as we are boasting in the right thing. So for the Christian, that right kind of boasting is boasting in what Christ has done for us, boasting in the gospel, boasting in what Jesus has done in and through us and what he does in others. That's why that text says, in Christ Jesus, I'm proud of my work for God. So as Paul looked at his life, and as I hope, if you're a follower of Jesus, as you look at yours, 
I hope that you can see some things in your life where you know this was God at work. I mean, he's working through me, and you could be happy about that. I mean, the Bible commends us to be happy. A couple examples, Galatians 6.14, but as far be it from me to boast in, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and out of the world. What's he saying? He's like, the cross is it, therefore I'm gonna boast in the cross. Or take 2 Corinthians 10.17, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's the purpose of Sunday morning? It's to boast in the Lord. That's why you shouldn't come to church singing, me, 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 me. <laughs> Philippians 3, 3, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So I don't want you to miss this. Because sometimes in all of our good efforts to downplay and be on guard for pride, which we should, we can somehow negate the emotional and satisfaction side of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are some people who think that being humble means they're never happy. So they come to church and sort of like Eeyore Christians, they come and, how you doing? I'm good, trust in Jesus. Eric asks you the question, tell something, someone that you're excited about, you immediately, like, I gotta spiritualize this, and you know, so you, you're, you're excited about something that's not so exciting, because you're nervous about being excited about what you're really excited about, and so you just, you're never pleased with what God is doing. And listen, when that becomes your mindset, you, you rob yourself of joy, and you rob God of glory. you think about it, our passions and our loves, the things that make us, make us happy, those are, those are core drivers within the human heart. They make us do things we wouldn't normally do. I mean, I wore a cape last night, <laughs> right? I didn't wear a cape because I like capes. I don't walk around, check out my cape. I'm not wearing a cape because I like capes. I'm wearing a cape because my daughter's passionate about it. Dad, put this cape on. And so I'm walking around getting mocked by kids about my cheesy cape, but I love my daughter. That's why I'm wearing it. So my love and passion for him, I'm happy with a cape on. I didn't wear it today though because I love her, but I don't love capes. One of my heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones, used to say that a depressed Christian is an oxymoron. If you don't know what that word means, it means they don't go together. Like jumbo shrimp, they don't fit. Like those two words should not fit together. So an oxymoron is a Christian who is depressed. Now granted, it doesn't mean that a Christian can't struggle with depression, I understand that, but what he means is this, that there's something fundamentally joyful of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I trust that people around you know that you're not only a Christian, but you're also a happy one. You love to see what God is doing. My hope today is that this service serves to encourage you and, and lifts your happiness not just in general, but your happiness of what it means to be a person who sees God at work. I mean, I love, I love being a pastor, and you know why I love it? Because I get to see what God does. I get to be in the front seat. About a month and a half or so ago, Sarah and I went back to our church in Holland for their 50th anniversary, and great service, told you a little bit about it, but afterwards they had this big reception, big tent, big cookout, we went out there and we stood outside the tent. We, we didn't even get in the lunch line, we couldn't. 
because this is not an exaggeration, for three hours we stood there as person after person after person came up and talked with us, and we just prayed, Lord, give us the names, just give us the names, please, and, and those, names, those names came back, it was like a miracle, we were so thankful, and, and what, what's more, they began to tell us about how they're doing spiritually, what, and then thanking us for the years that we spent there, and after three hours, I got back in the car with my wife. I was totally exhausted. I was hungry, hadn't eaten anything. And I got in the car and I said to her, honey, that's why we've given our life to the gospel. Right there. In my soul, I'm rejoicing in the work of God. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's right. Part of the reason why I want you to be involved in one another's lives. We'll be talking about more of this in 2016, but why I want you in a small group and speaking into one another's lives, why I want you to be a small group leader, why I want you to serve in children's ministry or to be a part of a, our lay counseling movement is not just so we can have a program. Look, I want, to, I want you to see the beauty of the moment when through your mouth and through the Bible, through your mouth, a light bulb comes on and you're right there. And for those of you who've never seen that and you're just like on the sidelines, I'm not trying to guilt you to get on the field. What I am saying is, brother, it's just you don't know what you're missing. It also should be a real encouragement to those of you who are on the field and you're serving and you're using your gifts but you don't see any outcome and you wonder, is this doing anything? You're pouring your life into your kids, you're speaking God's word, and it just feels like it's hitting a granite wall, or you're pouring your life into a, a, a counselee, or you're discipling somebody. I just wanna remind you, this is God's work. You don't get to, you just deliver the goods. You don't own the goods, you don't get to decide how to deliver the goods, you're just the goods deliverer, and one day they're gonna open that package and they're gonna see, and maybe you get to see the moment, but it's worth it because of the beauty of what it means to be a part of that process. Paul wasn't successful everywhere he went. I mean, people, even churches, called him weak and uninspiring. This is Paul, and they called him uninspiring. And yet Paul boasts in the Lord. It also means there's some of you who think, you know, my past is so bad, and like I've blown it so big, I don't know if God could ever use me. And I just wanna remind you, the apostle Paul murdered people, and yet God used him marvelously and powerfully. So when Paul says, I have reason to be proud of my work, what's he saying? He's saying that he boasts in the beauty of what Jesus is doing in and through him. And the central point of this sermon and what I'm inviting you to consider today is where is that zone for you? Or where is that opportunity for you? Where do you get the opportunity to see the beauty of God's work so that you could not just be proud, but you could be happy and knowing like this is where it's really at and know that at the end of your life that your legacy will not just be what career you had or where you live, but the impact of people that your words and your discipleship and your efforts, that impact could be significant. Now there's two reasons why Paul gives for his boasting here. I said earlier that verse 17 is the core, now we're gonna move out, one layer. Verses 15 and 16 is the first one, verses 18 and 19 is the second one. 
So first verses 15 to 16. But on some points, he says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So Paul acknowledges that his words in chapter 14 and 15, he's been bold, and he's been leaning into some problems in the church. But now he explains why. He says, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, so that's his overarching ministry, but then notice this image. And and notice the the, the priestly temple sacrifice language. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So not only does Paul have this pastoral tone, but he's now gonna help them understand the bigger picture in regards to the Gentiles. So he uses this priestly language. He, he uses this metaphor. He's the priest, and the priest is going to offer something to the Lord, and it's got to be acceptable, and it's got to be sanctified. And, but what's the offering? The offering are Gentiles. So in Paul's mind, what he's doing is he's, he's gathering these, these, these people. He's, he's, he's calling them to come to faith in Christ because they're going to be an offering. There's going to be a, a worship moment that's going to happen in a new way because of Paul's ministry. There are people in that offering with names, real people from real cities who were really delivered, and they're given to God as an offering. He lays them at Christ's feet and says, here's the product of my life. Here's these people. But I've told them about you, and they've come to worship you, and that's his offering. And he, he, he views his ministry through that, that beautiful lens. Keep that in mind. Now let's look at verse 18 and 19, because it's not just that they're going to be converted and going to be an offering, but they're also going to be an obedient people, because it's not just that they're offered to Christ, but they are a people who have been changed. Verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's again, a repetition of what he's talking about, of what it means to be proud of his work for God. But what's the purpose? To bring the Gentiles to obedience. So he's not only wanting them to be converted, but for Paul, conversion is so closely linked to obedience that sometimes, He describes conversion, like he does in Romans 1, 5, as being obedience of the faith. So what he's longing for here is for these Gentiles to be moved from disobedience to obedience. And then he says that could happen by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, which he could do as as an apostle, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, somewhere in Albania. So Paul imagines the the extent of his ministry that all the way along this geographic location, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. When Paul considers the sum total of his life, when he considers where he's gone and the way in which he's preached the gospel, he's, he's proud of it in the right way. He's witnessed something amazing. He's witnessed the Gentiles being converted. He's witnessed Gentiles who were once disobedient, and now they become obedient. And when you see somebody move from disobedience to obedience, when the light bulb goes on, man, it is thrilling. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You're pouring your life into your kids, and you're trying to speak God's word into them, and sometimes you wonder, are they hearing anything we're saying? 
And then there's sometimes they, they give you obedience that's just outward, but you wonder, is it sinking into their heart? And then you have a conversation with them that nearly brings tears to your eyes as you realize they not only are changing their actions, their heart has actually changed. And you can sense a heart that's now bent towards the things of God. And you know in that moment, what's the difference between that moment and the 30 other moments? You know the difference is? God showed up. And so what you do, you just keep depositing and depositing and depositing, and that should really encourage those of you who are, you're just one more deposit away until God's gonna show up. And so you keep depositing. And you don't hold God hostage. Like 35 times we've quoted this verse to them. Where are you? And God's waiting for 37. Because he's God and you're not. So that when it comes, you'll know that was you, not us. Or sometimes it comes, you bomb the presentation and your kid's are like, oh, I totally get it now, right? <laughs> if you're discipling someone, it's when you are leaning into your disciple and they come back and they share with you the progress that they're making and they're thinking and then they're acting, they come back and they start sharing with you, hey, here's what I'm learning, and you're sitting there across the table from them at Starbucks and you just can't believe it. It's not the coffee. I mean, God's showing up in their life. It's beautiful. Or if you're a lay counselor, it happens when a counselee begins to see that the Bible actually works, and they come back from a homework assignment, and they're like, do you know this Bible actually can change my life? And you're like, no, I didn't know. Like, yes, that's the whole point, for them to be able to have confidence that the scriptures are sufficient and able to help us so when obedience is expressed in the life of another person, it is something beautiful and glorious to behold. And throughout Paul's ministry, that's what he wanted to see. He wanted to see Gentiles embrace biblical obedience. He wanted to be the conduit through which that would happen. And as he surveys his ministry, as he surveys his life, he rejoices at the scope of what God has done. So if you've poured your life into somebody and they've started to achieve obedience, there's nothing wrong with you being happy about that as long as you're not thinking, I did that. As long as you can say, God, it's been a privilege to watch you work through me. Paul knows that God has a mission and he can't believe that he gets to be a part of it. In the Old Testament, the, the mission of Israel, as stated in Micah 4, verses 1 and 2, was this. Just listen to it. The idea is that Gentiles are going to stream towards Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from the city of Jerusalem. The idea is that Israel's on a this proverbial hill. She's to be a light to the nations, and the nations are going to be drawn to her. And Paul looks at his ministry and realizes, look, I'm a part of that plan. Do you know there are people in this city that God wants to reach? There are people in your neighborhood. There are coworkers. There are children in your homes that God has set his affection and his love on them, and you're the conduit. You get to be a part 
of the beauty of that moment, and that's what Paul is boasting in. He gets to be a part of bringing the gospel, and he gets to be a part of the integration of obedience to the nations. He gets to be a part of God's plan. So my question for you is this. So who is your offering? What work of ministry in the lives of people are you engaged in? It could be as simple as, let's start here. If, if you're a husband, your wife is your first priority offering. Listen, listen to Paul in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might, notice the similar language, that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so he might present the church same language, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You hear all the similar language? And then he says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. You know what my hope and prayer is? Is that when my wife Sarah stands before Jesus, she would be able to say, the greatest help in my life, apart from the spirit of God and the word of God, was my husband. And I'm, I'm living for that. And then let's move it out to kids. You got kids in your home, they are priority one when it comes to you being a conduit for God's grace. You don't, you're not, they're not there just for you to provide food and clothing and shelter and education. You provide all of that, but all of that's the greenhouse. The, the reality is they're there so that you can speak the word of God into them so their hearts and lives can be shaped. If you're not married, and you're single, it means that the people who God has placed around you and your friends and the, the relationships that you have meaning the people in your, your small group, the, the relationships of people who are close to you, that, that God has placed these people around you for a reason. So why are you in the job that you're in? Why are you in the neighborhood that you're in? Why has God led you to the spouse that you're married to? Why has he kept you single to this point in time? Why are all these things happening? God's on a move to have an offering of the Gentiles presented to himself, and Paul wanted to be a part of that plan, and I just want to invite you to think about where has God placed you and what you're offering, because there are all kinds of people around us that God is drawing to himself. We just don't think about it. A couple weeks ago, we did something as a staff that we'd never done before. We typically have one day, about a quarter, that we take, and take half the day, we just pray together, it's always a meaningful time, yet about a month or so ago, I wanted to do something different. So what I did is I loaded all of our staff onto a bus, told them I want you to pair up in groups of two, and I dropped them off downtown and said, you're gonna walk around downtown for the next hour and a half doing a prayer walk. Your goal is this, success looks like just walk around and pray for the needs of our city. Here's another goal. If you just did that one, that's a successful day. But secondly, maybe as you're walking around, you'll, you'll encounter somebody and you'd feel led to ask them, hey, we're from a church, we're just kind of walking around the city, is there any way that we can pray for you? And if they say yes, great. If they say no, great, that's a success. And maybe that conversation will then turn into some kind of gospel conversation. Regardless, I just want you to be on the streets, walking around praying, and see what happens. You, you should hear the stories. In fact, there's a blog article on our website about some of the things that happened. It was unbelievable. Let me just say one personal story of what happened. So I was with Dan Weller, one of our pastoral residents. We're walking around asking people if we can pray for them. We walked to one woman who was on a, a break outside, and we said, hey, can we pray for you? And she's like, no, I already prayed. I was like, all right. So we moved on, and, uh, you know. So I got rejected, like, straight up, and it wasn't easy. And I'm like, okay, let's move on. So we're trying to find who else we could pray for. We weren't quite feeling um, led to do anything quite yet. So we went to a Starbucks, 
grabbed a cup of coffee, we were sitting at the table talking, and I was kind of scoping out the area, I saw a police officer, I thought maybe I'll go pray for him. And just then a guy walks up to our table and he says, hey, do you know where Circle Center Mall is? And I was like, this is, like nobody asks for directions anymore, right, we have phones. And I was like, um, so I pulled out my phone, I said, right, <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's over there. He said, thanks, he started to walk away, he said, wait a minute, before you leave, so we're two pastors down here and we're in downtown just trying to find folks that we could pray for, is there anything we can pray for you about? And he looked at me, he's like, straight up? I said, yeah. Now, at that moment, I'm not knowing, is this going good or is it going bad, right? I mean, so, I don't know. And he said, yeah, man, let's pray it up. And I was like, okay. So he comes all the way around, and he comes, he sits down at our table. It's a true story. And so he goes, so here's what happened. He goes, I just got told I had to go home from my job because some issue happened at work. And I'm walking around downtown, wandering around, just feel terrible. Well, my life's a mess. I feel all kinds of guilt about all the things that I've done. And I looked at Dan Weller, our pastoral resident. I said, Dan, you've done bad things, haven't you? And he said, yeah. I said, <laughs> and I said, so, so what, do you, what do you do with your guilt? You know, I'm like, hit it, hit it, hit it, you know? And so I set him up and he cracked it. I mean, just boom, home run, a triple. He hit it really, no, home run. And he, he presented the gospel in a beautiful way to this guy. And we had the most unbelievable conversation about how to deal with guilt and how to deal with the issue. And I told him, look him straight in the eye, and I said, look, and I'm not gonna give his name, but I said, you know, this moment didn't happen by accident. Like God cares about you so much, he sent us down here for you. And you know, we got back on the bus and we're heading back to the church. We're talking about all the stories and the joy on that bus was palatable. You know why? Because for a few moments we got involved in hand-to-hand work with the gospel ministry and there was something thrilling and joyful. Risky? Fearful? Oh yeah, you should have seen their eyes when I told them what we're going to do, right? They were, I said, we, 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 there was a vow of silence going down to the city. I, I told them, Don't, I want you talking, I want you praying because I wanted them really realizing we're about to engage in God's sovereign purposes and who knows what's gonna happen. And I just wanna ask you, how long has it been since something like that has been a part of your story, a part of your life? Some of you, it's been years, maybe never. And I'm not trying to push you because something's inherently wrong with you. I'm just telling you, man, the activity on the field is so much better. Come on down from the seats and get in and see what happens. That's what I'm saying. And for Paul, there was something beautiful about this gospel work. Now, two applications, two implications. Verse 14 is the first. It's the internal implication. Verses 20 and 21, it's the external implication. The internal is this, verse 14, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Here's what Paul does not mean. He does not mean that he's perfect in every way, or that they're perfect in every way. He does not mean full in the sense that they lack nothing. What he does mean is that there is a spiritual confidence that he has in them that they are able to minister to one another effectively. They are able to spiritually care for one another. In other words, when Paul looked at the church at Rome, he believed that they had all of the resources they need, that they were full of goodness, full of knowledge, everything they needed in order to help one another grow. And this becomes clear when he says they're able to instruct one another. You know what that means? 
It means that they as a church were capable of helping one another to grow spiritually. The word for instruct means pastoral admonition. It means to correct. It means rebuke. It, it, it means to give advice. It means to give counsel. It means to warn. And Paul says there, notice that they are able to do that for one another. In other words, that there are spiritual resources available to this church for them to be able to care for each other, lest they think, well, unless Paul shows up, nothing's ever gonna happen here. Paul, I think, wanted to uncouple his need to be there on the ground from their sense of what they could be as a church and wanted them to help them, to help them realize that they could care for one another. And you need to know as a church, this is really important at so many levels, but especially as our elders are thinking about 2016 and what can we do to help develop a better shepherding framework so that our people, you as a people, are better cared for in terms of your spiritual needs. I gotta tell you something, our programs, the number of staff we would have to hire and the number of elders we need are not gonna be sufficient for the spiritual needs of this body. We need you ministering to one another. We need you instructing one another. We need you to realize that in your small group, when there's a brother or sister who has an issue, you need to step into that and step up and be able to say, I really don't know all that I need to know, but I have the scriptures and I have the spirit, and I'm gonna see if I can lean in and try and help this brother or sister. And there's risk. And it doesn't mean that you should handle everything. There's some things that you need to pass along to others who have more experience in particular issues or deep issues that need to be handled by elders and pastors. But what I'm saying, the general operating idea is this, if you have a sufficient word and if you're able to instruct one another, then we ought to be doing that. We are called and empowered by Christ to minister to one another. So one of the reasons that we have a, a lay counseling ministry is because of this text and others like it. We want you to be able to be trained in how to use the scriptures. And so if you wanna do that, there's some classes that we offer here. They're excellent, called Growing. You go online, type the word Growing, and you'll see the classes, and you can see, how do I use the word of God in my life and in the life of other people? One of the reasons why I'd love for some of you to say, hey, you know what? I need to become a small group leader. Some of you have small groups that have been together for a long time, and that's wonderful, but you got a bunch of really godly people in that group, and it's time for you to, to not break up, but it's time for you to be deployed and to realize that each of you could then disciple four or five other people, and the effect in this body would be really helped. Whether it's small groups or a discipleship relationship, maybe. Maybe you seem to pray, God, would you bring a young man if you're a man or a young woman, or if you're a woman in my life that I could help disciple and, and, and pour into their life, you may say, I, what, do I, what do I have to share? You have a life, you have the gospel, you have your story, and you have the Bible. That is more than enough. Just show up and talk. There's a tragic trend, which is to over-professionalize the ministry of the word such that it's limited just to few. To be honest with you, you don't need us for everything. Just go and do it and speak, and if it doesn't go well, then come, you'll be more interested in how to get help in that moment. So go and try. The beautiful thing is that we're all part of this spiritual activity, this spiritual work. So if something I'm saying resonates within you, we, we have a need for more small group leaders, and Gary Meeks is gonna be in the commons area afterwards. Love to talk to you about what that looks like. The point is this, that those little groups become the epicenter for what it means for us to have the possibility of engaging in gospel work. Don't miss that. Here's the second implication. In verses 20 through 21, 
Paul not only wanted to see the work of the gospel continue to grow in this church at Rome, but he also wanted to see it extend to those who had never heard. Verse 20, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Look, at Paul isn't snooty here. He's not like, I'm only gonna work if no one else has done this. It's not what he's, what he's saying is this, look, as big as the field is strategically, I wanna go where no one else has gone. That's his point. Sounds like our mission with missions, right? To reach unreached people groups. And then Paul quotes um, Isaiah. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Remember, way back when I told you that Paul writes Romans because he's on his way to Spain. He's not wanting to go to Rome just for Rome. He wants to go all the way to Spain. He wants to reach people who have never heard. So Paul was motivated to preach the gospel there because he longed for even more people to be part of the offering of the Gentiles. He saw this unreached people field as a wide open opportunity for the gospel. So what I just wanna ask you today is this, do you see that field? Do you see it? like very specifically and locally, like right where you are, in your family or in your small group or in your friends or in your neighborhood, like you see it really intentionally locally, but do you also see it globally? Because God has people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He wants to draw to himself, and you don't know joy until you have seen God work individually and until you have seen how big his work is globally. So I want you to be engaged in missions because I want you to be a happy people. You gotta choose between Disney World and a vision trip. I think the answer is obvious. I want you to, nothing wrong with Disney World. I mean, it's a small world after all. You go and it's, <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, if that's all you do with your time and money and you don't see the world, I'm just telling you, you're missing out. That's the point. So let me take you back to the cemetery. What do you want your life to count for? <clears throat> what do you want your life to count for? What do you boast in? What are you happy about? What's the lasting legacy and the impact of your life? My prayer, my hope would be for you that you would say, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God and that there'd be people at your funeral who would say, he wasn't perfect, but man, God worked through him. She wasn't perfect, but God imprinted his grace on me through this woman. And I think that's a legacy worth living for. I think it's a happiness worth longing for. I think it's a passion worth trying to ignite you toward that we could be proud in all the right ways of what God does through us. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people who are motivated to be on mission. Help us to be a people who see the fields ripe unto harvest people who see the fields right next door, and give us grace to lean in when we're tempted to lean out. 
Thank you for people whose imprint on our lives is so real and tangible that we're here today because of them. And we pray that you would give us strength to be that kind of people in this next generation. So Lord, we wanna be a happy people. Help us to be happy even today as we pour our lives into one another. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.